Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. My next guest on the Sandro Forte podcast is someone who is certainly not shy of a challenge, as you're about to find out. Mick Dawson is a professional yacht skipper, never come across one of those before, a filmmaker and a former Royal Marine. That is quite a combination. Mick has successfully rowed across the Atlantic Ocean, does beg the question why, of course, not once, but twice. Incredibly, in between those two voyages, Mick attempted to row across the North Pacific from Japan to San Francisco twice. Uh, crazy guy we're about to talk to, I'm sure. On his third attempt in his new boat, Bojangles, he and his fellow ocean rower, Chris Martin, became the first ever crew to successfully complete the feat, which took a staggering, listen to this, 189 days. Absolutely incredible achievements. I'm in awe of this man. And this is a name that's been mentioned to me many times before. And he knows that actually there's a number of very, very well-known names about to join me on the Sandro Forte podcast. And I was not giving up this slot today for anyone other than Mick Dawson. So Mick Dawson, welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invite. It is it's a wow CV. Um, I, 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 it was a bit tongue in cheek when I did the introduction. It, it does beg the question: Why? Why would somebody row across the Atlantic? Why would somebody want to row across the North Pacific? But we'll find out all about that in a moment. I suppose if you're a Royal Marine, there's there's that degree of uh, you know you're probably a bit mad, right? But um, but let's start by finding out about Mick Dawson, the man background, because the first thing that people will be thinking is. There's, there's something extraordinary about this person. He's built like a brick outhouse. Um, he's, a, he's a little bit crazy. Uh, and therefore, I, I'm not sure that I'm going to connect on any level with this guy. But if you don't mind me saying so, first observation, you look pretty ordinary to me. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. So I know we're going to get a lot of value from today because the one thing we love on this podcast is ordinary people who do extraordinary things. And once again, no disrespect intended. But let's find out about you as 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 Mick Dawson the man the ordinary the, the ordinary guy the ordinary optimist the ordinary <laughs> optimist whatever it whatever I, it is that drives you to these things I take it as a huge compliment because I would I, I've been described as normal it's, it's just how I'd like to be described um, good uh, my background is basically I was very fortunate I grew up in a fantastic family uh, that gave me all the support to uh, make mistakes and still pursue them uh, and get them right the second time uh, the second family I belonged to uh, was the Royal Marines and um, they really my 11 years in the in the Corps enhanced the values and principles that my parents had um, demonstrated and expected from me so I've been very fortunate in where I was born the people I've I've, uh, I've known and, uh, and that career path I took at 16 joining the Marines. Mistakes. You mentioned the word mistakes. <laughs> Good to learn from them or, you know, embrace them or fear them. Because a lot of people um, in life, Mick, and this is one of the things I wanted to coax out of you today, particularly given your background, and your experiences, loads and loads and loads of people do fear um, 
taking a step forward in life. And that's kind of a metaphor for lots of things. They fear taking a step forward because they worry about the outcome. I, d- I don't suppose the Royal Marines let you worry too much about that. And if you get in a boat and start rowing for 189 days, I don't suppose you worry about, you know, uh, what might go wrong. But do you do you think mistakes are there to be feared or are they there to be embraced? What do they teach you? Well, mistakes, and it's, it's easier to be the other side of them and realising it than it anticipating and worrying about making them. But mistakes are the best things that have happened to me because they, they've where I've learned my most important lessons. Certainly in ocean rowing, um, I could have done without making those mistakes, but they've been like gold dust in being successful afterwards. Fear, uh, that's a that's a whole different subject. And I've come to learn that with fear, we, uh, we live in a risk-averse society and we see fear as some terrible thing to be avoided. But it's basically a natural... Um, it's a natural emotion created by nature to, to get you out of trouble. It's an early warning system. Um, and the secret is if you go in an environment where fear might be part of that, make yourself as prepared as possible so that you have answers when that fear, when that alarm bell goes off. Um, unfortunately, nature just gives you fight, flight or freeze, um, which is great if you're in a cave of a woolly mammoth, but not a lot of use if, um, you know, if you're on an ocean rowing boat. So you, Basically, with modern world, more complex challenges, more complex fears to be worried about, prepare yourself. You're going down a road, get yourself as good as possible at the start of it. What what led to this desire to row across the Atlantic, first of all? I think it's a combination of things, really. I mean, I, I joined the Royal Marines because my brother joined as I was leaving school. I was always going to join the Navy, so I always had a passion for the sea. That's, that's what I could ever remember wanting to do. And then he fortunately joined the Marines just ahead of me, and that looked like, well, basically what it is, the best part of the Navy. So I joined that. Um, and then when I left the Marines uh, after 11 years and I became a professional sailor with private yachts, uh, I was hugely disillusioned. I, I'd moved into a, um, a lifestyle that was completely alien to me after the Marines, um, working with guys who literally give their life here without even a second thought into an environment where it's all about um, – cost rewards and all the rest of it. And I needed something else. And fortunately, I found it in uh, an Atlantic Rowing Race in 2001. And uh, yeah, it filled a hole that had been missing since I'd left the Marines, really. Wow. Um, What does the Royal Marines teach you, Mick? Um, I I mean, I I find it amazing, the number of people I I meet. Uh, My brother served in the forces, but the number of people who have seemingly transitioned very, very successfully from that environment where, as you say, you've got people stood next to you in the trenches, as it were, that would would die for you. Um, they, they seem to do very well in business, the vast majority. I mean, I'm, that's a general comment, of course. But what was it that the Marines teach you that help you or have helped you subsequently? Oh, many things. I mean, they give you a set of values and principles to, to, to live by and judge yourself by. I mean, I... I'm years out of the core now. I left in 91. But I still judge other people by the values I was taught in the Marines to some degree. And probably more importantly, I still judge myself on that. You know, I'm, still, I'm getting quite old now, but I still like to think I'm quite fit. And that obviously comes back from that because that's a judgment value. Um, and it gives you a level of confidence for sure. Um, and they teach you basically what, what the, the, the Marines basically amounts to is it, it, you, you, get, you don't give up. Um, you're not, you haven't got to be a superman. Again, there's plenty of normal people like me who joined the Royal Marines, but they just learn to don't give up. Mm. Keep pushing forward. Eventually, you'll get to where you're going. Some of those moments, um, you know, when you decided to row across the Atlantic, and um, interestingly, in my introduction, uh, we, we talk about attempted to row across the North Pacific. Uh, I'm also interested to understand as much about 
the times where it didn't go according to plan as the times where it did. Um, so if it didn't go according to plan, what makes you want to do it all over again? Uh, well, basically, the, there's a huge difference between rowing the Atlantic Ocean and the North Pacific. Um, Chris and I rode, ultimately rode it successfully in 2009. We were the first people to do that. We're still the only people to do it. Um, it's that difficult. It was the equivalent of, of climbing Everest for the first time. So Atlantic was doable, even in 2001, when only a few dozen people had done it. We knew it was a trade winds route and it was doable. Incredible challenge. Going to the North Pacific was a different kettle of fish. Um, and I went solo because my brother had small children. He couldn't come with me. Um, so when I went there, I hate to use the word failure because I always think I was less successful than I'd planned to be. When I, uh, when I, I love that. That's a, that's a good way of framing it. <laughs> less successful. <laughs> um, but the first person who climbed Everest wasn't the first person who tried to climb Everest. I accepted that with the North Pacific. What I did was judge myself um, and judge myself on the mistakes I've made, remedied them, uh, remedied them and went back better prepared uh, each time. I and mean, the second time I was really, I thought I almost cracked it. And then I was freakishly, I was capsized in flat cam conditions, uh, more than a thousand miles from America. So that was just bad luck on that occasion. Um, but uh, it meant for another couple of chapters in the book. <laughs> Wow, a, a thousand miles out in in calm water. I mean, there, there's got to be an element of you know what this is never meant to be. And and again, this is a great analogy for life and and a great lesson for those listening. You know, all around the world now. I'm pleased to say, but you know, again, getting back in that boat and doing starting all over again. Uh, I want to just touch on the mental challenge as much as the physical one because you know some of us are physically equipped to do these things, others aren't. But again, in in life and business. Uh, Mick, that the the mental challenges that you had to overcome, not not just when it didn't go according to plan, but even when it did, you know, having to be that long at sea uh, must be tough, really tough. And if and and if it is as tough as we imagine it to be, how do you deal mentally with the challenge? Well, I think the first key point, and again, I've learned this. Post completed everything. I didn't have this wisdom beforehand. Is you've got to take responsibility for what you're doing. And if you take ownership of the challenge that you've got in front of you, even as you say that, you you physically and mentally bracing yourself for the for the challenges that are coming. If you just breathe into it and you've not taken that responsibility, you haven't committed to it enough. Um, those challenges will buckle you. And uh, and I knew what I was facing, and I wanted to be there. That was the key. I was passionate about what I was doing. I wanted to be there. I took responsibility, um, and that gave me the resilience I needed, really, to overcome. I mean, even the biggest setback in the world, nearly, nearly being killed and capsizing and stuck in the middle of, well, two-thirds of the way across the North Pacific um, on my own. Wow. I I mean, I was going to ask you, actually, any any close calls? It sounds like there were a few. Uh, were, were there any funny stories? I mean, there must have been times you felt like crying, but there must have been times you felt like laughing or did. Oh, so many brilliant stories. Um, let me think. Oh, good, a good one, really. If uh, if you'll excuse my language at the end of this, purely in the context of the story. But when we'll, I rode, we'll, st- we'll stick a little health warning on, don't worry. Uh, yeah, it's uh, when I rode uh, solo in 2004 and thought I was going to make it. Unfortunately, I had no communications after day 12 of that trip. I was at sea for four and a half months. Um, and the, the boat then had no technology to light it up to passing um, container ships. Man, it's a hugely industrial route. So the only ships you see, and that's not that often, are container ships. They don't see you. 
four times I rode out from under the bowels of container ships. Um, absolutely terrifying. They come over the horizon without you knowing, no alarm or anything. They can't see you. They're not looking for you anyway. And if they were, they can't see you. If you're not on the radar, they're not going to avoid you. Um, and the fourth time this, ha- this had happened, um, it was becoming a nightmare. <laughs> the fourth time it happened, I'd come out a week to of fog, which had brought its own nightmares. So pleased to be out of the fog, see a blue sky. Quite big seas I was rowing in. Looked over my shoulder. Huge container chip bearing down on me. I got so good at avoiding them by this stage, I realised I couldn't get in front of it quick enough. Um, and worse than that, I was being blown onto it. That meant I was going to hit this 375-metre container ship in the middle of the ocean. So I jumped on the VHF, the short-range radio, and just said, unknown vessel at this position, uh, whatever it was, this is uh, Ocean Rowboat, Mrs. D, I'm off your port bow. There's a risk of collision. Um, I could hear the guy literally falling off his chair as he uh, acknowledged that call, but he did acknowledge it, immediately turned the ship to starboard, and that then meant the ship was now basically going to hit me with the back of the ship because it was turning oh. towards me. So I got back onto the radio, I said, stop, stop the turn, you'll miss me. Um, and I'm glad they, he did, he stopped the turn, and the ship passed by me, albeit fairly close, but it passed by me safely. Once the drama of the collision was over, I spoke to this guy, I'll never forget his name. Hopefully somebody out there might know him, Alios Henrik uh, from Merck Shipping Line from the Faroe Islands. And I said, uh, I've got no comms, no long-range comms. My tap phone's down. Could you get a message home for me? Tell him I'm okay. Don't don't tell him how we met. <laughs> and he said, sure, sure. He said, but can I ask you a, a question, Mick? I said, well, what's that? He said, well, what are you doing in the middle of the Pacific in a rowboat? <laughs> I said, uh, well, I was out fishing. <laughs> But the best thing about this story that's always stayed with me, this conversation took place with the ship disappearing out over the horizon by this stage, just on the radio, never saw Palios. And the last thing he ever said to me before he uh, um, went off the radio was, Mick, you English, you some crazy bastards. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I think uh, having heard that story, I think we can probably agree with Mr. Hendrick there. Um, <laughs> but if he, if he happens to be listening to the Sandro Forte podcast, well done for not killing our uh, our guest today yeah. on, on the Sandro Forte podcast. Um, I, I, you know, you talk about rowing solo, Mick, but you've obviously rowed with others as well. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, the, an, another um, rowing expedition with, a, with another guest in your boat. Um, Tell us a little bit about that one. Uh, I think you might have said prisoner. Um, The most recent (laughs) one, uh, I actually thought I'd retired when Chris and I got got to the Golden Gate Bridge, not because I didn't want to do it again, because I didn't think anything could motivate me to to go out and do do something like that again. I didn't didn't know how to top it. And then by pure coincidence, a couple of years ago, I bumped into an old friend from the Marines in my local pub. Within two hours, we'd arranged to race across the Pacific because there's a race from California to Hawaii. And six months later, we did that. And after a journey uh, that was 82 days, 16 hours and 54 minutes long, which included arriving in Hawaii uh, the same time as the second Category 5 hurricane in history ever to uh, hit Hawaii, um, I stepped ashore with the first visually impaired, first blind person to row the Pacific, Stephen Sparks. So um, I thought that was a good enough reason to go rowing again, uh, to, to give him that title. I had to let I, 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 I had to let you say that I didn't I didn't want to steal your thunder by uh, by uh, telling everyone what you did on that occasion with with somebody that was was blind effectively. I mean that is that is quite an achievement. So the next question I'd like to ask you is about teams. Now whether you're rowing solo, um, you don't do it all yourself, or whether you've got Chris or whoever it happens to be in the boat with you. 
you know, how important, and no, no one knows or understands the, the importance of teams more than the Royal Marines. How important are teams and, and what are some of the prerequisites that we should be thinking about when we're building businesses or, or trying to um, enhance existing businesses in some way? Just Let's just talk a little bit about teams and the importance of them. Uh, absolutely vital. There's not a single thing I've spoken to you about, even on the solo trips that haven't come down to uh, the support and the work with other people that I've been involved with, um, in particular, the people who have rode with me. I mean, I put it down to exactly the same ethos. It's, it's a fundamental building block of any success. And it comes, teamwork in itself is quite complex. For me, it comes down to one uh, one simple ethos that was absolutely the core value of the Royal Marines. And that's what, that's that everybody in that team is expected to put the other person first. And if you put the other person first, that's contagious. They want to pay you back and then some more. And it means that some of the parts is so much greater. And that's on every one of my rides. I've been fortunate. Everyone I've went, I, I, I've rode with, um, that's happened. That's evolved naturally. Um, uh, and it, it's it's just it's made us it made us overcome so much more than either of us were capable of as, as individuals. What's the best seasickness tablet you can buy? Uh, <laughs> that no, might be the best tip you give me today. <laughs> <laughs> I know the best remedy. <laughs> sit under a tree. <laughs> so you you talk a little bit about um, success, Mick. What you know? What in your experience, whether it's the Marines, rowing across the Atlantic, North Pacific, what what are the keys to success? You've talked about accountability. Uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing a bit here. Uh, but taking responsibility, you've got to really want to do something to find that resilience that you spoke about earlier. You know, what are, are there any other keys to success? If somebody said, you know, give me a shopping list here, Mick, I need all the help I can get. What what would you be saying to somebody to achieve success in life, whatever that looks or, or sounds or feels like to different people? Well, there's a few fundamentals, some of which we spoken about already. I mean, teamwork is the absolute bedrock of, of any kind of success. Um, but for me, before that building block goes into place, it's, it, it's, it sounds like a sentimental word. It's passion. Um, if you're passionate about something, people think, well, oh, yeah, passion, what does that mean? But all passion means is you have got unlimited fuel reserves for that pursuit. It's something that flicks a switch in you, which means you will achieve that goal and you'll find the reserves of energy you need to go down that road. If you haven't got passion, you'll run out of fuel when the big challenges happen. So find that passion. I'm an honest believer that everybody's got that in them. They've got a, a potential uh, in a certain area that, 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 that they're passionate about. And if you find that, you know, don't evade that. Listen to that Listen to that click in your head that says, this is what I should be doing because um, you know, that, and that passion, that fuel will get you through the tough stuff and get you to, to your goal. Um, I was absolutely passionate about going to sea, and, and that was the single thing that got me through times when, quite frankly, it would have been a lot easier just to give up. Mm. I've, um, I, I know that uh, you do a lot of work with recovering veterans. I would want to spend a moment talking about that, and then we'll talk about your books. Um, so just the work, because, I mean, it's amazing what you do. Uh, we're not just talking to somebody's roads, you know, the length and breadth of uh, of the Atlantic and North Pacific and all the other things, you know, taking a visually impaired person with you on that journey. But you do a lot of work now with recovering veterans. So tell us a little bit about the work you do there, Mick. Yeah, it kind of evolved uh, out of the rowing because I thought I was retired after uh, getting to San Francisco. Um, long story short, I basically returned to the Falklands um, 
which I was a veteran of the Falklands War, a friend who, who wanted to go. Actually, his mother asked me to take him there for his 50th birthday. I arranged it, got there, and it emerged that he was struggling with issues with PTSD. He'd also gone to basically the major charity in the UK for help. Uh, they had said, yes, you tick all, all the boxes for PTSD, go away for three months, no alcohol, no drugs, and we'll diagnose you officially. We were actually at the top of Mount Harriet where he fought in uh, 82 as an 18-year-old Marine. And he said, if I could do that, Nick, I wouldn't need the role, would I? And I've, I was horrified, to be honest. I knew that he wouldn't ask for help again and that door was firmly shut in his face. So I said, well, let's do something. Let's create a project to get you through that three months. And he said, what? So on the top of this mountain in the Falklands, I looked around for looked quiet around the Falklands. How hard can that be? Really, really hard, actually. We should have <laughs> we should have come up with that idea on the on the Isle of Wight, <laughs> if truth be told. But it led to us basically getting back from that trip, starting to learn to kayak, because neither of us could kayak, getting him fit again. We did a series of expeditions, which culminated Two years later, we both went back and we uh, we circumnavigated East Falkland, stopping at all the places on route on a ten-day expedition uh, that were key to the to, to the battles that were fought there. Um, amazing project, made a world of difference to my mate Steve Grenham, um, turned his life around, and in many ways turned my life around. And uh, it's kind of evolved from that. A couple shill endeavour, it's called, but uh, it wasn't planned. Uh, like all good things, it just uh, happened naturally. That's amazing. Um, kudos to you for that. And. Um, uh, you, you mentioned earlier on, you know, I think you mentioned the word struggling again, uh, an analogy to life and business for a lot of people listening to this podcast. How do you deal again, uh, you know, part of your training, in the Marines and that resilience you speak about the, some of which you was self-imposed, some of which you just made it up as you went along. How do you deal with the struggles of life? The moments when you really feel like giving up, where you just don't want to pull that all back in the water, where, you know, the, the third attempt at an expedition probably seems beyond you. How, how does Mick Dawson deal with those moments when, you know, most other people will be pulling the duvet over the head going, oh, I see it, I'm done? Um, it's a voyage of discovery. And uh, again, it's easier to talk about it looking back on things now than it was at times while it was happening. But um, I find a, a really important part of that process is to remember that <clears throat> if you're going to have any challenge that's worth doing, it's going to have its set, setbacks and it's going to have its times when it's asking you, do you really want to be here? And the thing that I've discovered is that in a situation where you can't control anything that's going on around you for the short term, the one thing you can control is your approach. Now, if you change your approach from, to that situation from a negative one to a positive one, which you can do literally with changing your mind on that situation, it just improves your chances of having a positive outcome immeasurably. Um, the single best example I can give to this, again, it will probably sound quite sentimental. I was rowing solo in 2004 prior to the capsize, discovering what the Pacific was about, the North Pacific, it was stopping me all the way, not even particularly bad weather. I was rowing for like hours and then getting pushed back for hours, every two steps forward, three steps back, and it was absolutely soul-destroying. And I remember screaming at the oars. I was so frustrated. Fortunately, my brother had put a playlist together on the boat. And when I, I literally, I was on the verge of giving up. I was just so distraught about this constant being pushed back. A song came out from uh, Divine Comedy, which I'd never heard before, never really knew much of their music. And it was an album record, one I shouldn't have heard, and it was called Damned Life. And one of the verses in that song went, um, I'll get it quoted right, uh, sometimes life is like being afloat in a raging sea in a little rowboat with the waves just trying to wash you overboard. 
take your chances and you ride your luck. Never, 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 never give up. Those waves will take you to a friendly shore. Now, apart from that being a massive motivational tool at the time to get you through being down, the next week after that, I was still being pushed backwards. From that moment on, I was not defeated anymore. All that had changed was my internal attitude to the situation going on. And I'd found a catalyst, albeit a, a random song, to do that. If you don't find that, find another way just to change your approach to the situation. All that negative energy isn't coming from what's happening to you. It's coming from your reaction to what's happening to you. Mm. You can always change that. That's, that's very, very well put. You've articulated a couple of things today, particularly the point early on about, um, about passion. Lots of people talk about passion, but I liked the way you framed it because, um, you know, talk about fuel reserves and, and putting it in a way that many people will, will resonate with a lot of people. What, what's been your best achievement then? I mean, that's probably putting you on the spot a little bit, but I, I suppose it's a bit of a dumb question given, uh, given that I look at all of the things you've done and think, my God, you know, if I, if only I could get, you know, halfway to what uh, Mix achieved, I'd be very happy. But, you know, what have you, you know, is there any, any standout moment for you of all those things you've done or, or anything else? Um, I, I'm, I'm loathe to pick a standout moment because it would mean picking on one row as opposed to another. Um, I have to say, seeing Sparky step off that boat in, uh, in Hawaii, um, the first blind man to do that on a, on a journey that was incredibly tough. I mean, as difficult as the North Pacific had been mm. for me and Chris. And to see him to step off, not knowing what he had gone through to get there, uh, that, that takes some beating. Um, but I've also got to say, um, rowing the Atlantic for the first time with my brother. Start of it all. You know, two brothers on a boat when only a few dozen people had rowed successfully across. Yeah. People can't take that away from me. And then to get, you know, under the Golden Gate Bridge with Chris, it's been spoiled. I hope my uh, I hope my brother's not listening to this because he'd be thinking, "Oh, I was in the I was in the um, the armed forces, and uh, oh, no, why don't me and Sandra row across the Atlantic?" Marcus, if you're listening, the answer is no. Um, so the, the tell us tell us about the books. Yeah, I was I was about to say that was my proudest moment, but I had a horrible feeling that might sound like I'm being a salesman, which I'm definitely not, but. <laughs> Being a, a secondary modern schoolboy who left school to join the Marines at 16, to actually have one book published was probably the biggest achievement in my life. Um, and the reaction to, to the first book was fantastic. And now that book basically tells the story up to Chris and I making the San Francisco. That's called Row in the Pacific. Uh, the second book is called Never Leave a Man Behind. And that's a story of uh, the Falklands kayaking work I've done with some other recovering veterans. And then ultimately, um, that incredible row with Steve Sparks uh, from California to Hawaii just a couple of years ago. Well, I, I doff my cap to you because I've written a book and I know how difficult it is. You know, no, everyone says they've got a book in them, but but thinking about it, making commitment to do it and actually doing it, they are two completely different things, oh, yeah. as you know. So I, I salute anybody who's written a book and you've written two. So um, tell you what we will do. We're going to offer uh, your two books, which we're going to purchase from you. We're going to offer them to uh, a lucky listener. They know what they have to do. We'll, I'll do that as part of the, uh, the outro at the end. Um, but we'll we'll give a couple of um, copies of uh, Mick's book away 
if you follow the usual rules, you 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 all listen in and you know what you have to do. Um, so the last couple of questions, Mick. First of all, how do we find out more about you? So is there a social media site? Have you got a website? Obviously, you, you need to mention the books again in case people haven't written them down. Um, yep. So the books, the website, any 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 place we can find you, basically. Well, the website is um, www.189days.com. Um, that's obviously connected to our little trip across the North Pacific. Uh, you yeah. can contact me uh, via that and you can reach to the social media platforms via that uh, connection, as well as if anyone doesn't want an Amazon copy or would like a signed copy, um, I can provide signed copies, uh, both books via that. And there's also uh, a Cockle Chill Endeavour Facebook page, um, which is just about to kick into life because I've got four Royal Marines, two recovering veterans and two serving Marines who are about to row across the Atlantic uh, from Gran Canaria to Barbados to fly the Cockle Chill Endeavour flag um, at the end of this miserable year and hopefully uh, provide a bit of light in 2020. Oh, that's that's terrific. Um, everyone's everyone's got the the Mick Dawson bug now. It'd be there'll be boats going backwards and forwards. Uh, <laughs> poor old Miss, poor old Mister Hendrick. He won't know which way to turn his boat, will he? He'll be, uh, be constantly dodging boats. Um, what what next for you then, Mick? Um, well, there's a lot of things I'd still like to do, um, but I have to say it's evolved more into creating things for recovering veterans. I think there's an intrinsic value in being at sea and being around the sea uh, to get in particularly mental health um sorted out or back on track and i'd like to i'd like to do more of that i've been very fortunate in that i've got to do lots of things i wanted to do but there's also a responsibility to pay back and uh, and i hopefully through uh, creating projects to help other people i can i can pay back a little which is hopefully what the guys will get from this atlantic crossing and uh, things we've got planned for the future so Fingers crossed we can get Cockleshell Endeavour on a on a footing where it's uh, on a regular basis. It's helping guys to recover, guys and girls to recover uh, from mental health or physical problems using the ocean as a template, basically. Good for you. Um, maybe, one, and- maybe one more book. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Um, and, and do let us know when it when that's published and we'll we'll offer a copy of that as well. So Fantastic. just to repeat, um, we will we will make a couple of copies available. Uh, but of course, if you want to get in touch with Mick and uh he's very kindly offered, of course you will be expected to buy his book, but he will sign it for you, <laughs> which is very nice of him. Um so the, the final, final question is the one question we ask all of our guests, Mick, and it's quite simple really, but I think um I'm, I'm really looking forward to the answer to this because you, you've shared so many things and there will be so many people absolutely glued to this podcast because I think you've probably shed some light and, and open up pathways for lots of people today, not just in terms of your approach to, well, we won't call it failure. It's a learning experience, I think is the way you framed it, but also um, that whole mindset piece and being passionate and you know, if you put your mind to something and you really badly want to do something, you find that resilience that so many people, you know, unfortunately struggle to find for whatever reason. So the final question is, if you, let's imagine, we don't know much about you. We haven't talked about family and, and so on, but let's imagine there was a younger version of you uh, or indeed on a boat across the Atlantic somewhere or North Pacific, your rowing companion says to you, you know, if you had your time again, Mick, uh, given all of life's experiences, if you could give me one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be that would that would trump everything else? If I had to focus on one thing and one thing only to get me through life, what would it be? 
at the risk of repeating myself, it would be that single thing. There'll be something in everybody's psych that they're drawn to that they're most well-equipped to complete. And the indicator for that is if you're passionate about a subject or a goal. And once that passion goes off and you recognize it as that, it's not just something in the passing phase. Once you, you can identify that passion, follow it or find a way to follow along that path. It won't be the path you're expecting to take. It will go in all sorts of different directions. But if you're passionate about what you're, the road that you're on, um, it makes all the turns in that possible. And uh, that's, yeah, the only mistake I, I made, I should have followed my passion a little bit sooner than I did, and then I could have done more. So, yeah, follow that passion. Recognise it, identify it, and never give up on it once you've discovered it. Difficult to imagine you doing more, really. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd be pretty chuffed if I got out of a harbour in a boat, never mind uh, never mind go as far as you did. Um, Mick, Mick Dawson, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. I kind of knew it would be, uh, but I, I would go so far as to say an honour, sir. It, it's been fascinating listening to, and I can I can well understand why you've you've you know conquered uh, the thirty foot high. Well, I don't know how, how high do they get some of these waves. Waves, um, about 60, 70 foot. Wow. Oddly, okay. enough, oddly enough, smaller ones are usually worse, but the big, the big swells you're looking at 60, 70 foot. Oh. Usually the time to make a cup of tea and get in the cabin. And there's and there's people that complain about the uh, the swells on a ferry. So um, that that will put it into that put it into perspective. It's been it's been lovely talking today. And thank you on behalf of all these people listening all around the world. Um, you've been terrific. I knew you would be, but um, but thank you for for enlightening so many people today, Mick Dawson. It's been fantastic. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Cheers.